0: Thank you for standing by and welcome to P&I's half year FY 2023 financial results teleconference. All participants are in a listen only mode. There will be a presentation followed by a question and answer session. If you wish to ask a question, you will need to press the star key followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. I will now hand over to Managing Director, Mr Ian McCoon. Please go ahead.
1: Thanks, Rachel. And welcome to everyone who's joined us on the call this morning. Thank you for your time. Thanks for your interest in PNI. As you've heard, this call is to discuss our results for the first half of the 2023 financial year. We posted with the ASX last night our formal results announcement, our interim financial report, including the audit reviewed financial statements for the half, the appendix 4D, and our investor presentation. We'll be speaking to key parts of the presentation this morning. Colleagues with me on the call are Alan Watson, our chairman, Andrew Chambers, executive director with particular responsibility for institutional and international distribution, Rams and Jarju, retail distribution, and Dan Longen, our CFO. I'll call out the main themes and highlights of our results and also provide briefly some further context, uh, context and elaborate on a few aspects that we feel are particularly important for us to explain to analysts and shareholders. We'll leave plenty of time for questions which you're welcome to direct to any of the clinical representatives on the call. Slide two is a disclaimer that is important and we would ask you to read this at your leisure. Slide three is an agenda. Slide five is a summary of our themes for the first half of the 2023 financial year as we see them. As we've said many times, we recognise that it is for our guests on this call, analysts and shareholders, to form their own opinions on our performance and the outcomes we are delivering, as well as our future prospects. But people ask us for our view, our opinion on how things are travelling, particularly given the market and industry context in the period under review and we're happy to do this to the best of our ability. Core revenues, that is revenues other than performance fee revenues, have been resilient in difficult market conditions. Our earnings have certainly been impacted by the cost of Horizon 2 investment in both Pinnacle and the affiliates as investment for future growth continues. We believe this is money very well spent and will deliver very high returns over time. But this does retard our profits in the short term and feels particularly impactful in an environment when revenues haven't grown. During the first half of FY23, particular market and style shifts have significantly impacted our funds under management in certain areas. The quality and diversity of our funds under management has mitigated the downside from volatile markets and from some dynamic fund flows including the rotation from growth to more value oriented strategies and pressure on the REIT sector during the half. We've experienced continuing success in offshore markets and in alternative strategies and these trends are ongoing and Particularly in the Australian market and in listed equities, we experience challenging conditions for generating new business during the half. Slide six and seven elaborate these themes. You see the heading, first half FY23, Difficult Conditions, Diversification Delivering Resilience, and ongoing investment for future growth. Core revenues excluding performance fees were resilient. The cycling of outflows to higher fee rate business that we called out in our full year result six months ago have continued to be evident through H1 FY23. Revenues, excluding performance fees, were 0.6% lower than the prior comparable period, despite average funds under management being 8% lower. Some revenues have not come through fully at the rates initially expected. We believe this is, at least in part, a short-term timing H1 versus H2 seasonality issue, especially with metrics. And of course, Hyperion and ResCap revenues are lower than we had expected. The key point here, I think, is that it was market movements rather than outflows that held back base revenue growth. We'll talk about performance fees in more detail shortly in slide 14. Performance fees were surprisingly low this half. But this is a short term phenomenon and we have every confidence in the quality of our affiliates and their ability to perform over time. Their long term records speak for themselves with 85% of strategies having outperformed their benchmarks over the past five years. Point two, our earnings have been impacted by the higher cost base in both Pinnacle and the affiliates as Horizon 2 investment for future growth continues. Pinnacle and affiliates have continued to invest This will drive strategic growth over the medium term, however it moderates our profits in the short term. We estimate that about $6.5 million represented the impact, impact, impact on Pinnacle for our share after tax of the Horizon 2 investment by both the parent and the affiliates in first half FY23. These initiatives, as I said, create additional capacity and provide medium-term growth opportunities. As we've stated, we make no apology for incurring these costs. We believe strongly that they will produce very high returns in the future and we have a strong track record of delivering on this. Point three... During the first half FY23, market and style shifts significantly impacted funds under management in certain areas. Style shift away from high growth stocks continued to impact up to 31st of December 22. There have been signs of a reversal during January. It is early days and we'll see what unfolds during the coming months. REIT markets also underperformed major equity markets in the half. This is also reversed during January, but again, it is early days. Whilst most equity markets, but not global growth stocks or REITs, entered the half slightly up, there was significant volatility throughout. You'd recall that when we updated for the September quarter, market movements had detracted a couple of billion dollars of fund, and we lost some revenue as a result of that. Continuing the themes on slide seven, point four, the quality and diversity of our funds under management has mitigated the downside from volatile markets and from some dynamic fund flows. Affiliate quality, asset class diversity, style diversity and continuous product innovation ensures that we retain all weather relevance to investors and their preferences and the market conditions they operate, sorry, as their preferences and the market conditions they operate in change over time. This, This has helped us during the half and will be an ongoing theme. We've enjoyed continuing success in offshore markets and in alternative strategies. We had $650 million of net inflows from 17 countries outside of Australia, despite investors across the board remaining defensively positioned. We raised nearly $2 billion in net inflows from all markets into global equities global e- emerging markets, and private credit. Particularly in the Australian market, and in particularly in listed equities, we we're confronted with challenging conditions for generating new business during the half. Whilst domestic institutional flows were negative, the market mix improved during the half. Our largest institutional inflows were into private credit and global equities, Our largest inflows were from Australian equities and global REITs... Sorry, our largest outflows were from Australian equities and global REITs. Domestic retail flows were still net positive, but net inflows were much lower than FY21 and the first half of FY22. It feels like retail market conditions have been similar to those we experienced in the second half of the 2020 financial year. So clearly market and industry conditions have been very subdued during the half year period under review. In fact, it's been a continuation of the conditions prevailed through the second half of last financial year. So we've now endured, endured them for a little over a year following the stellar 2021 financial year which itself was a recovery year from the 2020 pandemic depressed market conditions. Slide eight summarises the financial highlights. Pinnacle is not immune to market factors, but our increasingly diversified platform provides resilience and will drive growth throughout the cycle. So starting with the right-hand side, Net profit after tax was $30.5 million for the half, down 24% on the PCP, which was the first half of the 22 financial year. Diluted earnings per share was 15.6 cents, down 26% on the PCP. Dividend per share was 15.6 cents, down 11% on 17.5 cents, in the PCP the dividend payout ratio was 100% of diluted eps and of course franking was 100% as usual back to the left hand side aggregate affiliate funds under management was 83.2 billion at 31st of december down 1% on 30th of june aggregate retail funds under management was $20.8 billion at 31st of December, down 1% on six months earlier. Aggregate affiliate performance fees was $29.3 billion, down 3% on six months earlier. Aggregate affiliate revenue was $223.6 million, down 7% on the PCP. Aggregate affiliate base fees were 220 million, down 1% on the PCP, and aggregate affiliate performance fees were 3.2 million, for our share. Oh, sorry, 3.2 million, down 83% on the PCP. Our share was 0.9 billion dollars. Obviously, uh, yeah, a million dollars. Obviously. This surprisingly low level of performance fees were the main reason for the overall revenue being lowered during the year. And this, together with the highest costs, including Horizon 2 investment cost, was was the main reason for the lower profit. 31st of December we had $15 million of cash and $164.1 million of principal investments. In in terms of fund flows, retail net inflows were $300 million for the half. International net inflows were $700 million, and domestic institutional institutional had net outflows of $2.5 billion for overall net outflows of $1.5 billion for the half. And 85% of our strategies outperformed their benchmark for the five years to 31st of December. And on the bottom right hand corner shows the performance of the relevant markets over the half, especially call out the NASDAQ down 5.1% and the NARIC market, they were both particularly relevant to us with Hyperion and Rescap and so on. Slide nine is a reminder of the range of affiliates that now comprise our platform, together with a few highlights of examples of developments during the half. We're very happy with the progress that Greg Dean is making with Langdon in Canada. Palisade's expansion is continuing with good progress with Palisade Impact, Palisade Real Assets, Palisade Americas and additional assets into the main Australian diversified infrastructure strategy. Metrics is making very good progress. There are other, many other examples
2: that we could have included. Slide 10 shows the growth of
1: our NPAT and EPS since we became listed pinnacle we remind shareholders that it is the strength of our platform and the high-quality, award-winning investment affiliates that are the basis of us generating material earnings growth for our shareholders over time. This is something we need to remind ourselves of as we review this period where unusually we have experienced a situation where we've delivered lower earnings than in the PCP. The fundamental reasons for our growth to date have not changed. Our company is in very good shape to resume strong growth, particularly when markets improve. Nothing has fundamentally changed. We are the same company with the same strengths and competitive advantages that has delivered strong earnings growth since our inception. Slide 11 elaborates this theme of our track record of earnings growth throughout market cycles. Pinnacle affiliate revenues are linked in part to movements in equity markets. During the half market and style shift have significantly impacted our funds under management and therefore revenues in certain areas. Pinnacle has pursued a deliberate strategy of diversification incubating new affiliates and strategies enhanced by careful acquisitive growth into new asset classes and markets. This has allowed us to deliver continued growth in profitability throughout market cycles, albeit at lower rates during periods of market downturn or turbulence. Growth in funds under management and profitability were suppressed in the 2020 financial year and again during calendar 2022, due to the dislocation in equity markets but Pinnacle has grown strongly on average over the three-year period to the 31st of December 2022, which encompasses both the COVID-19 crisis period and the market's regime change and sell-off during 2022. We've delivered an NPAT compound annual earnings growth rate of 25%. Over the three year period to 31st of December 22. Diluted EPS compound annual growth rate was 21% over the three year period and FUM KGAR was 11% over the three year period. And here is our conclusion again in case you missed it a minute ago. Since listing as a pure play funds management business in 2016, Pinnacle has delivered strong profit growth. Whilst we make no prediction for what lies ahead, we are confident that we have the platform in place to deliver continuing earnings growth over the medium term. Slide 12 shows some detail on the five-year investment performance versus benchmarks. The raw numbers are in slide 51 and slides 52 and 53 show performance over a range of timeframes from one year to since inception. Slide 13 shows our funds under management history. Funds under management have grown the compound annual growth rate of 22.4% per annum over the last 10 years, excluding acquired FUM. It was 20.7% per annum. Slide 14 addresses performance fees. This is always an important topic when considering our company's performance and future prospects, but particularly so this half, given the surprisingly low amount of performance fees earned during the half. We say surprisingly because the probability of such a small amount of performance fees being delivered, even in the first half of a financial year, we know that second half is uh, biased um, to be stronger than the first half, but even in the first half, the probability of such a low number should be very low. Only six of 15 strategies delivered performance fees during the half, and this didn't include the strategies with the larger funds under management. Being based purely on alpha, performance fees on the 15 strategies should be independent of each other and of market levels. There may however be some common threads during this particular period which was an unusual one in markets with the emergence of inflation after such a long absence and the resulting monetary policy regime change that has been so disruptive to markets. Perhaps this is a topic for discussion in our one-on-one meetings. We do remain confident of the prospect of large performance fees in the future and we make several relevant points in the notes beside the graphs on this slide. The volume of fund with performance fee potential has increased substantially in recent years. The number and diversity of strategies with significant performance fee potential has increased in recent years. Improving the annual the annual reliability of overall performance fee revenue. The likelihood of performance fee success is generally not correlated with equity markets. It's based on performance relative to individual hurdles. The likelihood of performance fees is distinct between individual strategies. However, performance relative to benchmarks can vary significantly over even particularly short periods of time. And we felt it the worst over this past year that we've just been through. Several strategies which had the potential to produce performance fees during the first half outperformed their benchmarks but earned nil or lower performance fees as they entered the period behind the relevant high water marks. Of the now 22 strategies that have the potential to deliver significant performance fees, 15 crystallise at least half yearly, with all 22 crystallising on at least an annual basis. Performance fees crystallising only in June each year include metrics and Palisade. Of the 22 strategies that have the potential to deliver performance fees in the second half, eight are at their high water marks now and the further four are within 2% alpha of earning performance fees. Slide 15 shows the progress we've made over the past six and a half years in diversifying our business, both by asset class and performance fee thumb. This has enhanced the resilience of our core earnings And as I said earlier, we plan to continue to diversify further in the future. Slide 16 updates for our most recent industry award wins. We win many awards year after year and these are commercially valuable for us. Slide 18 provides some further detail on the composition of our first half financial results. I'll leave it to you to review this in detail at your leisure. I've already called out the highlights. Slide 19 elaborates further. There has been continuing improvement in the average base fee rates and client diversity. We emphasise that Horizon 2 investment in growth initiatives moderates profits in the short term but will drive strategic growth through the cycle. Um, Some examples are listed here in the bottom right-hand corner of the slide. These are real and they are large. They have a substantial negative impact now, but will have a large positive impact on profit in future years. Key balance sheet items are listed on slide 20. Cash and principal investments of $179.1 million includes $140.2 million invested in strategies managed by Pinnacle Affiliates. The CBA facility of $120 million is fully drawn and deployed into liquid funds managed by affiliates until required. So we have $120 million of dry powder for future opportunities. Section 3 covers the institutional and international markets. On slide 22, as indicated earlier, institutions have accumulated higher cash holdings and continue to rebalance away from public equities, both Australian and global. Private credit is seen as appealing. I'll leave the rest of section 3 for questions for Andrew Chambers. Section 4, the retail market. Again, as I indicated earlier, in the half-year period under review, as well as in the previous half, so all of calendar 22, conditions have been poor for flows for the entire retail funds management industry. Investor confidence has been very low, with fear being the dominant sentiment. World stock markets fell the economic and monetary policy regime change as inflation became a concern, together with geopolitics, the Ukraine war, etc. Slides 26 to 31 provide relative information on the retail market. Slide 33. I won't say a lot about Section 5 growth agenda except to emphasise that nothing has changed in terms of our ambition and strategies and plans to continue to grow by way of all three horizons. We look forward to resuming Horizon One organic growth as soon as possible. It's true that we haven't commenced a standalone Horizon Two new affiliate since Langdon, which by the way is going very well, Perhaps this is partly because we've encouraged so many Horizon 2 initiatives within existing affiliates, but we have also continued to look, but have not unearthed any standalone opportunities that have been sufficiently compelling. We've continued to add distribution capabilities, likely to add, for example, uh, in the US soon. Slides 35 to 38 provide some further detail on Horizon 2. As I said, our ambition is undiminished. In relation to Horizon 3, again, our ambition remains undiminished, but we have had to show patience and discipline and resist the temptation and our inherent bias to get on the front foot and do things. We haven't undertaken another Horizon 3 investment since 5V, which is also going very well by the way, but that is not for the want of trying. And it's not that we haven't kept looking, we've worked very hard on several opportunities but in the end we've not proceeded with any as yet. We are still looking but also still prepared to be patient and disciplined if necessary. Section six provides some information on our corporate responsibility initiatives. I wish I had time to go through this in some detail, but I need to leave it to you to read yourselves. We're proud of the progress we have made on so many fronts as outlined in these slides. Finally, my conclusion is on slides 47 and 48. Slide 47 reminds us of Pinnacle's key differentiator and source of competitive advantage. It is extremely important particularly when markets are tough and our industry experiences significant turmoil, to remind ourselves of our DNA and how we differ from some other participants in our industry. The differences may seem subtle, but in truth they are fundamental to our success to date and our prospects for ongoing success and growth. Slide 48 sums up Pinnacle's diverse affiliate portfolio and extensive distribution channels provide robustness while fostering multiple strong growth opportunities. That is indeed what we seek, a high growth from multiple sources agenda whilst maintaining great robustness in tough times such as the 22 calendar year. Thank you for listening uh, for so long. Over to questions.
0: Thank you. If you wish to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel your request, please press star 2. If you're on a speakerphone, please pick up the handset to ask your question. Your first question comes from Tim Lawson with Macquarie. Please go ahead.
3: Hey, gentlemen, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, Just first on the the base fee movement uh, and your comment in a slide around the timing of some of the revenue, can you maybe add some colour on um, the sort of transactional component that base fee revenue and um, maybe the components uh, that add into that?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks, Tim. Uh, As I mentioned, um, we were a little surprised that our revenues didn't grow more strongly. I mean, they were robust in the in the conditions, but we actually thought they'd be stronger. Um, metrics was a key element of that. I mentioned that some of the revenues, uh, there's a bit of a H1 versus H2 issue. Some of our affiliates, and this is certainly the case with metrics, they get stronger growth in, for example, upfront transaction fees in the second half rather than the first half. Also, there was some delay. There were definitely quite large fees that we expected in the first half. That Murphy's Law, they have come in in January, not in the first half. So that had some impact. Um, also, we regard Hyperion and, and ResCap uh, as a sort of a temporary phenomenon in the last half. As I said, it, it's been substantially reversed in January, but it's early days.
3: Um, Can you add a little colour in, in terms of the movement and the growth you've seen in that base and transaction fee? So how much is coming from, say, the transaction side and how much transaction represents of the total the now?
1: Yeah, so Dan might help us with this. But with metrics, of course, their base fees are quite large, um, so are performance fees but the transaction fees really dominate. First of all as their fund, as new fund comes in and they deploy it, we get transaction fees on quite a large portion of it and then also as their loans turn over which they do fairly frequently we get more fees So damn. and we didn't, so we had large inflows sort of a year ago and they have not yet turned, turned over so they'll come sort of some of it next half and a lot next year. Yeah. So Dan?
4: What, what we just add to that Tim, So unlike management fees which are earned over time as soon as the fund arrives, transaction fees are booked once those funds are initially destroyed and then each time the capital is recycled. So while there can be some uncertainty as to the exact timing when the revenues are booked, and, and the effect has definitely become more pronounced in recent times with the large increases in funds that generate these fees. And we'll just point out that that capital, however, is recycled regularly and reliably, so the revenue is of high quality. It just can be slightly uncertain as to when exactly it arrives.
1: So that all falls to the bottom line. I mean, obviously metrics have also increased their costs substantially. Last year and this half, um, those cost increases are large. That's horizon Two. um, a lot of that. And we encourage them. Metrics are growing. They are adding capability, particularly in what they call metrics, business, finance and so on. We're seeing the cost of that and not the revenue so far, but the revenues will come. Uh, as Dan said, it's not absolutely clear the timing of that. They will come. They'll come somewhat in the second half and then big time next year and the year after. Uh, and remember that we also get a share up into Pinnacle Parent of all of the all of metrics revenues.
3: And that's all been delayed in this half. Yeah, so yeah, follow on in terms of that comment, Ian. So, in terms of how that sort of transaction component and how you earn that as Pinnacle is impacting your sort of total service fee line in the Pinnacle sort of PL? Correct,
1: correct. So, every dollar of metrics revenue. Changed. Yeah, so as metrics revenue grows, so will that contribution to our top line. We get a defined percentage of every dollar of metrics revenue.
4: And of course, Ian, that's not impacted by the cost of increase. It's a revenue share, not a profit sharing.
1: That's right, it's pure revenue share.
3: Okay, and um, just the two... So, Dan, do you going to cut you off? No. no, no, we're just saying that you'll see that grow. You'll see that grow a lot. Okay, so just two more questions if I can. Um, just in terms of the flows, uh, there's obviously, um, you provide all the net movement, but maybe sort of gross inflow and gross outflow might prevent, uh, provide a bit of a, a more clear picture. Um, so two questions in regard to that. So in, in terms of the sort of mandates one and lost, to call it that, uh, to, can we sort of sort of fully fund it? I mean, how far are we through that sort of cycling of domestic info and obviously been winning money elsewhere.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So we mentioned at our full year result and then also at the quarterly update um, at your conference, Tim, in, uh, at, as at the end of September, that we had quite large, so the net flow mass qu- what have been quite large inflows and quite large outflows and been, they've been quite different, the inflows from the outflows. The inflows have been at higher fees than the outflows. Now, we quantified that um, sort of from last year, um, that even though we had net outflows last year, the, the, net, the revenue on the net flows was substantially positive and then through this half the trend has been not quite as big well the first quarter was quite large inflows and outflows and and even though they were net outflows they had sort of not much impact and then again in the last quarter I think the flows were not quite as large in the last quarter again the impact was negligible so you know this sort of Uh, The revenue growth not coming through in this half, it's not as a result of the flows. What happened was that, you know, we had some market took our thumb down somewhat uh, and that's what caused our revenue not to grow in the way that we were expecting. Now, how far are we through that? Um, It's hard to say. Uh, My feeling is that, you know, we're through quite a lot of that. the you know uh, a fair bit of the obvious thumb we were going to lose from the Aussie insto market may well have gone. Um, we just don't know it's hard to predict. Um, Andrew, Andrew Chambers will talk about our confidence in our inflow pipeline. Um, we don't have good visibility on insto, Aussie Insto outflows, um, but that trend has been. Pretty strong and quite attractive Um, but you know going forward we'll take whatever good business is on offer to us and we don't target particular fee rates but we thought it was important to point out the sort of fee and revenue impact of those flows because if you just looked at the raw net outflows you'd have been misled on revenue.
3: Yeah. and then just last question for me in terms of the spend on horizon 2 the commentary around that's very helpful um could i ask it, just a question in regard to is it fair to talk about any sort of maturity of those investments so obviously you, you brought it up at the last result and you're talking about it again today but is there a sort of stage or life cycle investment that some of those investments are closer to um fruition versus where we were 6 months ago or, or more historically
1: yeah, so, so they do vary. We've had some that have come in very quickly. Some take longer. We sort of, we sort of don't do Horizon 2 if we don't think we can get a return on it within three years. But these are at various stages. If you look at sort of Athea is about to pop. Um, Langdon will take longer. But a number of the initiatives within affiliates, I mean, metrics, Um, there'll be revenue coming in from their initiatives in the second half, but really it'll be much bigger, FY24, FY25. Similarly, things like 5Z, you know, they're doing a lot. They've added, you know, they've probably doubled the number of people they've had on um, since we joined with them. And that'll be a 24, 25 story, particularly 25. So, yeah, I know we ask you to be patient and we have to be patient ourselves, but, the, you know, the big story will be sort of 24 and 25 and, and beyond.
5: And, and to that as well, if I just might add, so, so Palisade impact with a $450 million-odd raise out of the gate, $250 million target raise they haven't really drawn any of that capital yet to start deploying. It's not reflected in our flow numbers, but they start to deploy that capital will get reflected, and obviously that will have, then produce a profitable uh, revenue line. Yeah, yeah, profit line.
6: Yeah,
2: that colour's helpful. Thank you.
0: The next question comes from Nick McGarigal with Baron Joey. Please go ahead.
6: Guys, um, just a comment. A question around the
0: um,
6: around. Just a question around the dividend. So you have paid out a hundred percent payout ratio in the first half. Is there anything to read into that um, in terms of confidence around the second half, or is it more about having uh, executed on the M and A, so you're being diligent with your capital management?
2: Yeah, so it's
1: probably a bit of both, Nick. But the main logic that our board um, applied was we are confident. This level of performance fees is just very surprisingly low. And, you know, recognising that, paying out 100% felt still pretty conservative. But, um, yeah, if you want to call it some signalling of future confidence, that's absolutely correct. We think this is a trough um, in earnings with those performance fees. We're always mindful about, you know, we like to have dried powder, we like to keep cash but we've also said that paying out dividends because we've got all the franking credits there is a discipline on ourselves and we, if we want capital we should ask the market for it which we've already done to some extent a year ago.
6: And just to, obviously, the management margin comments that you made at the full year around the 20% run rate, um, that had assumed a smoothing out of the metrics origination fees, but it's fair to say that that's more skewed to the second half and then even more yeah. so to you given, given some of the things that slipped period, um, into the second half. Is that right? That's right, Nick. So, you know, we made
1: that comment in good faith. We, we don't seek to mislead. There's no mileage in that. Um, it's always a bit dangerous so we made the comment it was sort of an annualised revenue comment and yes we didn't really and look with the benefit of hindsight I should have called out the H1 H2 thing uh, but yes it was a sort of like a per annum comment so the metrics um, H1 H2 thing has sort of uh, come out and embarrass us a little bit. Also, I think Hyperion and ResCap, you know, that surprised us a bit. That's held back our revenue. So our revenue growth hasn't been as strong as we were fully expecting. Markets have been what they've been. They went down, they've come back up, but growth and REITs have been particularly subdued. So we're a little bit embarrassed by that comment, it's still true, you know, and um, we look for recovery in those revenues.
5: But the transaction fees to that point with metrics tend to cluster around three particular periods during the course of the year. Yeah. At the end of December, uh, just before Easter, and then around June, so just before the end of the financial year to give you further context.
1: So there tends to be more in the second half than the first half. But then we had the additional thing that some that were expected in December trickled over into January.
6: And just when, it, when you look at the flows, we can work out roughly that metrics had about 1.1 1. Uh, 1 billion, I think, of flows for the half year. Um, is it Would those have all, I think be the rough ratio is about 40-45%, have an origination element. Um, would those have had originations attached to them in the first half, or is that, again... Adding to that balance of originations that probably splits into the second,
1: so some did, but yeah, there's a sizable chunk will be h two
6: and I mean, just in terms of the profitability of metrics because it is growing into a larger contributor to the group, can you give us a sense on some of the horizon two investments that they' are making, not just in asset management but in other parts of the of the credit space?
1: yeah, so um I think it's known um that they've done some things with PayRight. They've they've moved to a um, to a controlling stake in that. I think Andrew Lockhart has been clear that they are working hard to build a um, call it non bank lender capability, um, which will be large. What they call metrics business finance will be large. It's sort of SME lending and so on, but they're moving into sort of adjacent areas, they have big plans, and those plans are being executed. And that costs them quite a lot, uh, which is good, we're happy with it, but we're talking
5: quite large scale. The other two components would be real estate equity, they'll have a new fund coming to market during this particular half, and also impact sustainable finance initiatives so both ethical as well as sustainable strategies for, for the market as well. So those have incurred additional resources and costs as well to the business in expanding those areas.
6: And I mean, the, the additional business lines that we're looking to get into, is that the expense and then obviously the equity account of losses from PayRight Have they been included in that $6.5 million comment for Horizon 2 investors?
1: Yes, yes. There's There's a lot of cost in there in metrics. They just expense it. As we do, Um, now, I I can't assure you of every dollar of the accounting, um, Nick, but I know there's a lot of expense, people, legal costs, all sorts of things. It's quite large.
6: And so if we put metrics cost step up to the side, because that was about $20 million in FY22, and obviously be annualising an increase into 23, were there any significant incremental investments made amongst other affiliates in FY in the first half?
1: Oh, my goodness, it's ongoing. um, We we set out a few examples in that slide on Horizon 2. There's so many of them, Nick. Uh, It's like every one of our affiliates has added people and are doing new and additional strategies, sort of capitalising on their standing in the market, and it was always to plan that Sphere would add global, Firetrail would add smalls and global, Antipodes are adding additional strategies. You can just go through them all. Five V's adding. Yeah.
4: Rescap have added the GLI and real assets.
1: Team yep. Rescap have added um, GLI and real assets. I mean, there are so a lot get, of yeah,
6: them. The annualised incremental investment wasn't material, given you're at six and a half versus twelve for the whole year last year. So it's sort of there's a small step up, but not. It's not yeah. there's not been any step change traditional investment.
1: Yep, those are estimates. They're only where we identify very explicit, defined initiatives,
4: and they're, they're net. And whilst the revenues haven't come through at the rates we've expected in the half, and they have started coming through, so that's a net. Yeah, trigger.
1: yeah, we net off revenues that have come from any horizon two. this is
4: you know our affiliates
1: have been doing this for some time and they've got the foot to the accelerator. Plato's doing some new strategies I mean I could go on and on.
6: And maybe just I'll wrap up so I don't um, ask too many questions but the um, the principal investment losses your share was or seed investment losses within the affiliates was about a million dollar drag in the half and it was a 5.7 million dollar drag last year. can you comment on what particular strategies those are invested in and if the rebound in Hyperion Global is up 15% absolute for January, uh, ResCap's up sort of 7 or 8%, does that help that movement, um, that market market turn into potentially a profit as we sit here in the beginning of second half?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the largest amounts, um, that affiliates have invested in their own funds are Hyperion, uh, ResCap, Antipodes, they're the biggest ones, um, you know Hyperion have quite a lot of seed there, Rescap have always had quite a lot in their own funds and that's all I'm going. So these are just mark-to-market unrealised losses that go through their P&L and yes as of January that would have turned and that they would have turned into positives, who knows for the rest of the half but they shouldn't be the big net negatives that they've been uh, over the last calendar year.
6: All right, thanks. I'll jump back in the queue.
0: Your next question comes from John Hind with Wilson. Please go ahead.
2: Good morning. Thanks for taking my question, Jen. Uh, A lot of my questions have been asked, but perhaps drilling down on performance fees, Again, um, Metric's had a pretty good year uh, with performance and then capacity, opportunity. And Notwithstanding the comments you made, I, I think you're guiding us to a, a greater contribution in the second half you know, on a year-on-year basis. But outside of that and Palisade, can you give us some colour on the meaningfulness of the affiliates? I think you mentioned there are eight at a higher watermark. Um, are we close to them being able to contribute more meaningfully uh, in the second half?
1: Yes, sure. So um, yes, metrics are annual performance fees, pretty much all, and Palisade as well. So they're, they're second half. Um, so I mentioned that we've got eight strategies at their high water marks and four within 2% alpha. In terms of numbers, $10.7 billion of thumb with performance fees are in that First category, they're at the high water mark, so that's 37% of the total performance fee FUM. and then another $7.1 billion, or 24%, are within that 2%. So we've got 61%, or $18.8 billion, uh, at high water marks or within 2% alpha. So um, you know, we can all do our own estimates of what. What's likely to emerge out of that? My chairman counsels me not to go making forecasts about performance fees because every time I do, uh, I get it wrong. So, um, and I sure as hell uh, didn't ever expect the performance fees to be as low as we've got in this half, but there you go. But, you know, that is looking quite, quite good for the second half, but who knows? I mean, some of them, the $7.7 billion that's a long way behind and, you know, we won't get in the second half and that that's Hyperion especially and some in, some fire
5: trails perhaps. Yeah. And like, like there's also individual mandates, John, which are struck at different time periods to the funds and so therefore the capacity of those to earn performance fees is different to that of the fund vehicles. And you know, Hyperion Antiques is a good case. Case and points of those, and when those mandates actually started, so their performance fee journey has been different to the fund. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I mean Red's It's a good point, Andrew. Red's has got a a different, um, I guess, structure as well within its funds. Um, yes, they were well. It was well positioned uh, last time we spoke. Has the recent performance? Yes. Um, had an yeah. impact on, on the potential in the second half for RESCAP?
1: Yeah. Yes, that's right. So only two of the 22 strategies have a, a sort of an absolute return hurdle as well and RESCAP is one of those. So RESCAP is actually at its high water mark. It's accrued performance fees, um, significant performance fees. The only reason it didn't collect last year was that the absolute return hurdle was not met now that REITs have come screaming back in January, they're probably around their high water mark. If not, well I don't I, I have to look up the numbers. You can you can look them up on their unit prices, but it'll depend on what happens in the next 5 months whether they collect at the 30th of June.
2: Okay. Thanks. And just moving on to that affiliate investment off I think at a gross level we're sort of, I think, calculating about fifty million dollars worth of investment. Can you? Obviously, metrics took up at the a, a lion's share of that. What were the other? Can you use some colour on the buckets by affiliate for that for the remaining um, investment that, that were made, so we can look out for that being added in time. Sure,
4: John. So the other places. There are the two new adjacent affiliates in Palisade we've mentioned. There are costing there. There are the new strategies and teams being built out within Plato. There are the additional GLI and real assets teams in ResCap. And then to a slightly smaller degree but still there are the global team in Speria and then the Firetrail global and small companies teams that are required additional people. They're the main areas. And, and the nature... Sorry, Ian.
1: No, no, I just said and metrics is substantial as well, of course.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um the, the for the nature of those costs are that uh, they it sounds like they're largely fixed um as well looking forward and how we think about the affiliate the new baseline yeah. affiliate margins.
1: Yeah. The majority of it is people and um Those affiliates are staffed up to deliver those strategies, so they don't need any more people as they go from sort of zero towards the capacity of them. So, you know, I mean, Hyperion staffed up for global. It's only got a few billion in that, but eventually it's got, you know, north of 10 billion of capacity, etc. All of those, uh, they don't need to add people.
2: Go ahead. As markets recover and you take you take FUM on board, it's, there's there's serious leverage available, I guess.
1: Absolutely. And as their track record builds in new strategies, et cetera. Very, very strong leverage.
2: And just on um, the offshore expansion, just, just finally from me, um, how, can you give us a bit more of an update on the progress there? You've obviously Langdon's been launched. You've made some key highs globally as well. Um, where are their focuses now? Um, do you generally give us an update on sort of how the KPIs are tracking and, um, how are you thinking about that offshore pipeline specifically? I think that's probably one for Andrew. Yeah. So
1: ACUA and, um, Langdon are going well.
5: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's, let's start with Langdon. Um, so they're off to a very strong start. So they've raised about $50 million of committed and invested capital. From financial advisors in Canada. They've gone on, on to five other t- top five platforms in Canada for their Canadian and global small cap mutual funds, which is almost unheard of. So you need obviously pledges from financial advisors to get them on the platform to begin with. So his very strong profile there is raising early capital amongst those channels and of course they're very high fee takes as well. So I think uh, well over 1% plus a performance fee for those particular strategies. So that's off to a very good start and obviously we're looking to bring into to the Australian market and the US market in particular in helping raise global small cap um, money. Um, IKEA, the focus has very much been in the Europe, Middle East and Africa um, in terms of actual sales in the last half and the majority of that has been um, happening in wealth management channels rather than traditional institutional channels. So again, much higher fee margins driven from that business, mainly from the, from the large private banks in Europe, um, in South Africa, or in places like Guernsey and others, which are traditional um, locations for a lot of these private wealth groups. So they're in very good shape. They've secured another very strong global consultant on the top five. They're probably one of the best credentials uh, managers are now stable today, with global consultant ratings across the board. Obviously, sentiment until recent times has been relatively negative towards emerging markets, and that's now starting to turn. Um, so, obviously, emerging markets up 25% since their low points back in October of last year, um, and so people are becoming much more positive on emerging markets for new money. Um, so, they're in very good shape, and we're just about to see our very first US-based investment investor into our US onshore vehicle, which would be a Delaware fund in the United States, which will happen in this first quarter. That, that's a committed capital from a, from a client. So hopefully we, should, we can expand very quickly um, with IKEA now in the US. Um, so very good search activity for um, antipodes and also flows into antipodes from uh, the US market and Canadian markets in particular. Um, we have uh, several consultants over there, which are actively supporting the firm for new money. Um, Looking to launch, in addition to the global strategy, a non-U.S. international equity offering as well to that market because still the majority of capital in the United States flows to partitioning U.S. and non-U.S. assets rather than investing globally. Um, But um, we're seeing lots of um, search activity from the major consultants there in that global value space and a lot of interest as well in decarbonisation mandates in that global value space. It's one of those areas very hard to solve for in, in the value oriented, um, style because they typically invest in more capital and, uh, sorry, capital intensive, carbon intensive industries. So a climate change portfolio in that really helps align well with the net zero targets of a lot of these asset owners and asset consultants. Um, so a lot of focus for our activities in North America, Been very good search activity and slows here in Australia and New Zealand too. Um, and AT has been more EMEA, but increasingly more the Americas. Um, metrics secured its 10th um, Japanese clients during the course of the half. Um, so funding basically from um, Japanese um, corporate pension plans into that strategy and the next period of time the Japanese um, allocators will put money to work will be in February of next year, so they tend to have a seasonal um, characteristic to the way they, they inject their flows. so we're doing a lot of work in in uh, Japan as well in terms of raising money for metrics and we just secured our first client for AQ which is expected to fund soon out of the region as well. Is that a helpful summary?
2: Yeah, that, that's a great summary. Thank, thank you very much.
0: The next question comes from Dylan Jones with Ord Minute. Please go ahead.
7: Yeah, morning, Jen. So uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, just wanted to delve a little bit more into the affiliate uh, profit line. So the profit margin has swung around quite... Considerably during the last twelve to eighteen months, but obviously we've got some things that you have called out in the revenue timing impacts, market impacts, and horizon to invest But how should we think about the new normal for the affiliate profit margin going forward?
4: Um, so as Ian mentioned earlier, um, we're probably at the bottom in terms of the margin, given that the spending has been laid on pretty heavily and we haven't yet seen the revenues come through, we would expect to see that happening from here. Whilst there will be additional incremental cost added, we would expect a pace of revenues to pick up. Yeah,
1: and then and then beyond that, it's going to be, you know, at what rate we get flows and so on. Um, and, and we can all make our guesses at that, when the market's going to turn. Just to remind people, we have a lot of operating leverage when markets turn, um, you know, and we just continue to build more and more and more capacity and operating leverage. We think we've got $300 billion of capacity and all this Horizon 2 keeps growing that capacity.
7: Got it. Uh, thanks for that. And then just maybe on uh, M&A opportunities, I guess firstly how how is sort of appealing evaluations uh, getting at this point in time and then I mean clearly you've got the balance sheet capacity but with I guess the volume of the Horizon 2 investment currently being undertaken, would you sort of say that you have I guess the time and uh, sort of intangible capacity to take on another affiliate uh, yep. at this point in time?
1: Yeah, we certainly do, Dylan. Um, It's not because of um, sort of capacity that we haven't done things. We have a, you know, we have our own quality standards, and um, we are not going to proceed with a Horizon Three if it if it's not high enough quality. Uh, Valuation is also relevant, but you know we're prepared to pay a fair value for things because we think we can then add value. By helping with distribution, etc. So it's not as if we're looking for bargains out there. Um, high quality bargains. <laughs> um, quality is very important to us, uh, and then we look at valuation it needs to be reasonable. So um, look, there are there are definitely going to be possibilities, but we're not going to go ahead with anything. It's not really good enough. Everything has to align for us.
7: No thanks for that, I'll leave it there.
1: Yeah. Now we, we're under time pressure to get to a, a meeting. Um, sorry, have we got more questions?
0: Oh, no, there are no further questions.
1: Oh, that's great. Look, thanks everybody. Sorry I went on a bit. Um, but thanks very much for your time.